Welcome everyone to the Happy Hustle Podcast. I'm your host, Carrie Jack, lifestyle entrepreneur, professional model slash actor, biohacker, and eco-warrior striving to make a positive impact on this planet. My goal is to inspire, educate, and entertain you while reminding you to enjoy the journey, not just the destination, as you happy hustle for a life of passion and purpose. I am so grateful and humbled to be spending some time together today. Now, let's dive in. What is up, you beautiful happy hustlers out there? I hope you are crushing the day, baby. In this episode of the Happy Hustle Podcast, we are talking to Mr. Joe Sanok, who is the author of Thursday is the New Friday, How to Work Fewer Hours, Make More Money, and Spend Time Doing What You Want. It examines how the four-day work week actually boosts creativity and productivity. And we are talking all things creativity and productivity in this episode with entrepreneur and rock star podcaster, Joe. He is dropping some hot fire on the mic for all you happy hustlers out there. And I really think you're going to enjoy this one. So when you do, leave us a review, shout out Joe online, and let us know what you thought. So without further ado, let's dive in to this episode of the Happy Hustle Podcast after a quick message from this episode's sponsor. Real quick, guys, I just want to give a huge shout out to Newtopia, who is making my favorite nootropics in the game, baby. Nine different proprietary brain optimizing supplements. You guys get the hookup. Go to newtopia.com forward slash happy hustle to save yourself some money. Now let's dive in back to this episode. All right, Joe Sanok, welcome to the Happy Hustle Podcast, my brother. I am super excited to connect. Carrie, I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, man. It's going to be a fun one. You know, we were we were uh, rifting a little bit in the pre-interview chat and, you know, we have very similar mindsets and methodologies. And I know you're an entrepreneur and you're an author and a podcaster and you have this awesome new book called Thursday is the new Friday. And I'm really excited to dive into this concept because personally, I don't work more than 20 hours per week. Uh, usually that's like, and, and I, I like working Fridays. I like working every day cause I like what I do, you know? Um, but it is an interesting concept, you know, how to increase creativity and productivity. And I'm excited to talk about that. Um, but before we do, what's something interesting about yourself, Joe, that not too many people know. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm raising two daughters uh, on my own, and I often have glitter in my hair. <laughs> so I mean, like, <laughs> unless you stand really close to me, you don't usually see the glitter. Uh, but th- there's always unicorns, mermaids, some sort of uh, unique fun play going on in our house. They're at really sweet ages; they're seven and ten, and so they're still just like super into daddy, and we get to just play a whole lot. <laughs> That's awesome, man. I don't have any kids yet. Um, but I want them and, uh, I'm shooting for, for uh, two twin boys out the gates and then maybe a daughter, uh, coming up third and bringing it, bringing it home on the rear end. But, uh, I can only imagine being a, a single dad of two, two girls. You definitely have some glitter and Barbies and mermaids laying around. So oh, that's, it's, it's so much fun. I never thought I would like it this much. <laughs> that's awesome, man. Well, let's dive in. I like to kick things off with a bang. And, and one thing that really interested me about, um, this conversation was just the overarching history of the seven day, 40 hour work week. And, you know, I'm curious, where did this even come from? Like this structure, can you give us a little history on that? 
Yeah, it's it's really crazy because when I did the book proposal, I had kind of this whole four-day work week kind of thing outlined. HarperCollins liked it. They bought it. And then when I entered into writing the book, I just started from scratch with a whiteboard and said, what questions do I have outside of the proposal? And one of them was, where did we even get the seven-day week? Where did the 40-hour week come from? Just kind of starting with new eyes. We actually have to go back several thousand years to the Babylonians. And the Babylonians, oh, wow. they looked up and they saw the sun and the moon. They saw Mercury, Venus, Mars, and Jupiter. And then they looked down and they saw Earth. So seven Seven major celestial things that they valued. And that's why they chose to have a seven-day week. The Egyptians had an eight-day week. The Romans had a 10-day week. Uh, just over 100 years ago, uh, actually, the Russians tried out a five-day week. And so, this idea of a seven-day week just being set in stone it was just completely made up because a year huh. makes sense in regards to our planet going around the sun. Uh, our months loosely align with the moon cycles. Uh, our days obviously make sense. It's how long it takes the earth to twirl. Um, so, but a seven day week, there's nothing in nature that points to that. So if we just start with, we made that up and say, like, whoa, okay, there, there's some things here that we've held dear that actually are just made up. So fast forward to the late 1800s, early 1900s, and the average person was working 10 to 14 hours a day, six to seven days a week. I mean, they were working mm. all the time. They, they had a farmer's schedule, but they weren't all farmers. Uh, and so when Henry Ford in 1926 instituted the 40-hour work week, that was a huge step forward for humanity, for the evolution of business in so many different ways. But his main motivation was to sell more cars to his own employees because he <laughs> thought people aren't going to buy a car to get to work faster. But if they have a weekend, every one of my employees is going to buy a car. And it worked. And so then we see it start to sweep the nation and legislation, you know, the New Deal, all sorts of things that happen. And by the 80s and 90s, we start to see the rise of casual Fridays. We start to see that that's when people are having baby showers at work and cheesy team building activities. And Friday is really a half worked day. Um, I often like to say that, you know, Friday's been having an effect from the work week with the weekend for a while. So why don't we just call it what it is? <laughs> so Friday's been having this affair with the weekend for a long time. And then the pandemic comes and blows everything up. Everything that we think is how the world has to be, we realize it does not. People that you never would have thought arguing, I want to work from home. I want to be able to you know, just keep my pajama pants on and put on a nice shirt. And I mean, everything gets blown up. And now we see kind of post-pandemic that what's happened is that people don't want to go back. We see this great resignation because that industrialist mindset that Henry Ford gave us less than 100 years ago, people are saying that doesn't work anymore. And so this whole mm. entrepreneur mindset that you and I have had for a while, the rest of the world is saying, wait a second, we can do things completely differently. There are not these rules that we thought were set in stone. Mm, love that, man. This is so true, though. It's like, where did this seven-day work week really come from? And here, Joe's telling you, here's the answer is it was made up, you know? And it's like, we don't have to work on society's schedule. We can choose how we flow, how we, you know, create and, and produce something that we care about that serves others. And, and it's really, it's, it's an interesting history. And I appreciate you sharing it with us. Now, give us a little backstory on just Joe, like what, what got you into entrepreneurship and, and what kind of, you know, led you to this point where you even wanted to write a book, 
you know, in the yeah. first place. You know, it, it's sort of accidental in a lot of ways in that uh, the only business job I had was in college. I sold vacuum cleaners door to door and it was nice. terrible. <laughs> um, I, I was bad at it. Um, they were teaching me how you sell this several thousand dollar vacuum cleaner in like, you know, trailer parks and stuff. And it just felt icky. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, and I was in the counseling world. So, you know, did my undergrad in psychology and also did a, another major in comparative religion because I thought it was just important to understand other people's belief systems. Uh, then I took a year off and traveled the world for a year and then came back and did graduate school and did a double master's in counseling and psychology. Um, and then took a very traditional route where uh, worked at nonprofits and then uh, eventually worked in community mental health and in school systems. And I started this counseling uh, private practice really as a side gig, just pay off student loan debt, thinking if I see a handful of clients a week, you know, that's a couple thousand dollars a month that I can just knock out the student loan debt. But then over time, people wanted to have me hire them and they approached me. And so I had to learn how do you hire people and how do you market a business? And, you know, pretty quickly I started making more on this side gig than I was making in my full-time job. And so in 2012, I started just podcasting about what I was learning as a practice owner and the business side of it. Uh, and in the book, Guerrilla Marketing, which was a book I read in, you know, 2009 as just sort of a prep for that business. Uh, they talk a lot about finding areas where you right away are number one. And there was nobody else podcasting at that time about the business of running a counseling practice. So from day one, I was the number one podcast for counselors and private practice. Nailed it. <laughs> uh, and then continued to grow after that, where in 2015, I ended up leaving that full-time job to, to do this and the counseling full-time. And then in 2019, sold that counseling practice and then uh, moved into doing the consulting and podcasting as my full-time gig. Amazing, man. Cool story. And it, it's something I want to highlight, the blue ocean that you actually found. And I know the happy hustlers out there, like most of them are searching for that blue ocean, that niche that is unique and that is your own. And I think like for me, when I say I'm the world's greatest happy hustler, there's no one to challenge me because that's just like a new thing. That's a blue ocean, you know, and here Joe was, he was number one podcaster in the counseling space because there was no other people in that space. And it's, and it's a very important lesson that I just want to extract is finding that blue ocean, that that wide open market. Now, tell us a little bit about your podcasting journey and, you know, kind of what you do now with your clients and how you serve them. Yeah. Before I answer that, though, I want to comment on what you just said before that, because I think sometimes yeah. people think about niching and they're so worried about, I want a hundred thousand Instagram followers. And I want all this thing, all these numbers that don't actually convert to actual money in your pocket. And you think about if you're super niched in and you find 10 or 20 people that are going to give you a thousand bucks a month for your skills, yeah. like, that's a career. You only need 10 or 20 people that love you that are going to give you a chunk of change. And so the more niched in that you are, the easier it is to do that. Uh, so I just wanted to kind of follow up on what so you true. said there. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, for me, I think that really looking at uh, what's the next step for my own audience is, is kind of a central question that I think through when, when I'm thinking about those next phases, because uh, early on, what that looked like was, you know, I, I was trying to outpace my audience. Like I want to offer all these big picture things, but really realizing they're still starting a counseling practice. The next step after that is having a group counseling practice. The next step after that is having a million dollar practice and just following that user journey. And when I made that switch from really um, me driving the products to having the audience say, here's what we want next, 
everything became so much easier mm. in regards to you know selling because it didn't feel like selling. They were just saying, "Oh, you're listening to us. Thank you for creating this product we've all wanted." Yeah, yeah. It, it's changing the mindset from what do you think they need to asking your perfect target avatar what they actually need and then creating that because you know that's what business is solving people's problems at a profit like my buddy wade lightheart says and it's really important that you ask what exactly they need help with so i I really appreciate that you had the introspection and empathized with your customers and your audience um now let's fast forward to Thursdays and the new Friday. And I'm, I'm curious, tell us a little bit about the book. Tell us, you know, who's it for? And if someone is interested in reading it, what is the main key takeaway that you're looking to transpire to them? Yeah. So the people that it's resonating with the most are small business owners, entrepreneurs, you know, happy hustlers type of people. So your exact audience are, are really who's getting, I think, the most out of it right now. We have had larger companies like Nissan Infinity Canada. They bought enough for their entire staff. And that's great. Wow. And there's lots of tools for them. Uh, but I think the in, it's still written for the individual. So even if you're the CEO of a major corporation, it's still written for you as a person more than just, you know, here's the company guide. Um, So the book goes through three particular parts and um, it's really different than kind of the old way of writing. So the old way of writing from the industrialist mindset was here's the five ways to be more productive. Here's the blueprint. Here's the exact way to do it. Uh, You're either in or you're out. That's thinking like a machine. That's thinking like an assembly line, which is what the industrialist taught us. Uh, This is different than that. Uh, So on one side, we have that. And the other way people wrote books were, all right, we're going to have it be all woo-woo, you know, have a vision board, submit it to the universe, and hope we get a trip to Hawaii. Uh, Now, both (laughs) those sides, they they have unique things that are true about them. But this new way of writing is saying, let's make this a little more menu based, where there's lots of activities and thoughts and experiments where you can say, this works for me, this doesn't. So you're learning to be more and more intelligent over time. And Mm. so this becomes kind of a book that guides you through a process, but it's also a process you can keep going through. So the three major parts of the book is first, we start internally. Uh, You know, if you're not solid internally, any productivity you do is going to be misplaced. You might be working on the wrong stuff. And so we start with your internal inclination. So naturally, where are you successful? Where are you growing? Where do you need some work? Uh, And so we work through those top three internal inclinations. Then we look at the brain research and say, you know, the way most people have been hustling has been completely wrong. They're burned out. They're stressed out. They're doing 90 hours a week. You know, they're bragging that they've worked every Saturday since they were 14. And it's like, no, like that means you're a bad business person if you have to work that hard in my opinion. (laughs) It's so true. Uh, And so the best work we do, the research shows us, is when we slow down. Uh, You know, the first minute of you trying to meditate, you you have a flood of things that you think of that you need to get done. You know, if you're taking a shower or going for a hike, you have all these ideas when your brain actually slows down. So we look at why slowing down before you ever do any sort of hustling is so important to do next. And then we look at after we have slowed down, how do we absolutely kill it? Uh, and, and within the kill it section, I take on that hustle culture. And you know, I know that you as a happy hustler, it's like you take that on too, that you don't have to work 90 hours a week and hate your life and brag about how you never do anything but work. Um, that It's actually about having that passion and, and going after big things. So we walk through some exercises then on how to 
absolutely kill it. How to find your sprint type. So, you know, most people have heard of personality types. The research is actually emerging that we have sprint types, ways that we sprint more effectively. And if you can pair the way that you sprint with your sprint type, you can get a ton more done in a shorter period of time. Then we look at the neuroscience around all those ways to, to just get more done in a shorter period of time. Wow, man. It sounds like there's um, that you really spent a lot of time with the research and the data component uh, in the neuroscience, which I, I really appreciate authors who take the time to actually do the, the due, due diligence, you know, like actually get the data. Um, talk to us a little bit about these sprint types. This is interesting. Like, give us the, the I know people are going to want to get the book after hearing this, but just for the happy hustlers who are listening right now, who are like, "Hmm, I wonder what sprint type I am. Give us, give us a little bit of background on what are the different options and how you identify which one you want. Yeah. So there's two different parts to your sprint type. The first is what kind of work you're doing within your sprint. And the second is when you're doing that work. So if we first look at what type of work we have first, your time block sprinter. And then the other part is your task switch sprinter. So a time block sprinter is kind of a traditional sprinter where you set aside at least four hours to work on one particular task. And typically that's broken up into 20 to 30 minute segments. You're setting an alarm. You're taking at least a one minute break every 30 minutes. Uh, The research from University of Illinois shows that even just a one minute break every 20 minutes can completely reset vigilance decrement. So vigilance decrement, how well you pay attention is vigilance decrement, meaning breaking down over time. And Mm. so the idea is if you stay on a boring task too long, you're going to get less and less effective with it. So you can combat vigilance decrement by just having a one minute break every 20 minutes. So Mm, the idea is you're doing that that. every 20 to 30 minutes, Uh, but you're doing the same type of task. So for example, every Thursday I was writing Thursday is the new Friday. It was only the book. Whereas a task switcher is a person that needs some variety. So a lot of people that are in the entrepreneurial space, you know, say, Oh, I have squirrel syndrome or, you know, I can't focus very well. This is perfect for those type of people. Cause it's saying, yeah, you have this natural way of thinking about the world, but you need that variety. Now we're not going to be multitasking. We know that that's a myth. The research has debunked that like crazy. You are not effective when you're multitasking, but instead you're saying for 20 minutes, I'm going to work on sketching out this blog post for 20 other minutes. I'm going to read some high level emails. And then for 20 minutes, I'm going to look at my media schedule. And then for 20 minutes, I'm going to be doing these other high level tasks. So you're still very intentional on what you're doing, but you're, you're peppering in that variety. Mm. So those are the two types of, of work that we do. And then we want to look at when do we do it? So an automated sprinter is going to put it into their calendar and it's going to be on repeat. So for me, that was every single Thursday, I'm working on the book. I'm dropping into flow state quicker because I'm using the neuroscience to make sure I do that. And it's just on repeat. Nobody can even schedule in my calendar because it's blocked out. Whereas someone that's an intensive sprinter, they need to go away for a weekend intensive. They need to get a hotel room, an Airbnb. They need to just get away in some way. And so when we start to really figure out, okay, what kind of sprinter am I? I need that variety and I need to get away. Okay. Then quarterly schedule an Airbnb, or maybe you have a friend who has a lake house that they're like, it's cool. Just come out for a couple of days, like figuring that out. You then get way more done. If you use the neuroscience within that to then make your sprint type the most effective. Mm. It's so true. You have to figure out your sprint type. And even when you were thinking about this, I was like, oh, well, I'm definitely an aided, um, sprinter in in the sense that I like to focus on tasks every single go and one of what what did you say when you go away for the weekend and uh 
what's that called when you go away for the weekend? Oh, the intensive. And you're like intensive. Yeah, the intensive. Yeah. Uh, and I'm, but I'm also that because even writing the book, my book, The Happy Hustle, um, which is coming out this month in November, I can't wait. It's been a labor of love. As you know, writing a book is a real labor of love. Um, but I had, I wrote it. You know, in these intensive blocks, I, I got a cabin in the in the forest, and then I went to the beach, and then I went here, and then I touched it up with automated tasks every week. You know, and it and it was a combination. So, as you listen to Joe, all the happy hustlers out there, think about which style of sprinter you are, and start to block your calendar with these different you know, these different remedies to get back into flow state and to be productive and creative and to use the neuroscience in your advantage. Um, really interesting stuff, Joe. What would you say, is there a way, uh, I know you have the book, but do you have some type of assessment or some type of quiz uh, that people can take in order to identify their sprinter type? Yeah, actually over at joesanock.com, um, we have the internal inclination quiz, which is where we have people start before they even get to their sprint type. So they're doing that internal work first. Um, so yeah, they can actually take that for free. Usually it's $49, but we set up a code for your audience that I don't know oh, if you wow. want that now or... Yeah, please. You know, yeah, it. drop it yeah, on. Yeah, it's just it's just the acronym from Thursday is the new Friday. So T-I-T-N-F. Uh, so if you enter that <laughs> in, that's going to... Yeah. Yeah. So you just enter that in over at joesanock.com where it says, take the assessment. You can take it for free. We're just waiving that $49 fee. And then uh, that'll give them advice on their internal inclinations. And then from there, uh, we have an automated email sequence that walks them through their sprint types and a lot of other things as well. Love it, man. Love it. So we'll link that up in the show notes, but J-O-E-S-A-N-O-K.com. Take that assessment and then plug in that code T I. T N F, not T G I F, but <laughs> T I T I N F uh, okay. or T I T N F. There you go. Yes. That's great, man. Um, and I, I really appreciate, like, I have an assessment for all the happy hustlers and, you know, it's, it's basically asking you the question, are you a happy hustler? And I have my 10 alignments of being a happy hustler. It's my proprietary framework to actually achieve blissful balance. And I actually measure myself in my own 10 alignments every single Sunday. And it's one of those things that I do to then look at where I need to prioritize change from last week, where I may have been out of balance and where maybe I need to prioritize change in the upcoming week. And I think assessments and self-quantification and feedback in this sense is what will allow you to actually achieve your dream reality, allow you to make these calculated adjustments and become more successful, more productive, more creative. So guys, I really recommend taking Joe's assessment, getting you know this data, and then adjusting your calendar accordingly. And, and that's something where you know <laughs> you gotta just not not just take it. You gotta actually make changes, you know, based on the information. Um, what changes have you made, Joe, after writing this book to your own work schedule, to your own flow? Maybe based on the science. I'm I'm curious. Any 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 like massive shifts you've made in your own in your own workflow? Yeah, I actually have given myself more permission to slow down. Um, oh. You know, before I, I slowed down quite a bit and had a great overall schedule. Um, but even just allowing myself to, uh, you know, take a walk with the neighbor instead of plow through some extra email or to, yep. uh, you know, 
take some extra time to meditate. I've really taken the time to say, what am I feeling in my body right now? And if it doesn't align with my kind of achiever side, that's okay. Uh, You know, I can just, I don't have to always be focusing on achieving things. Mm. Which again, plays into this entrepreneurial burnout culture, you know, where it's like you always have to strive for profit and success and grind. And I think giving yourself grace, slowing down, uh, working more intentionally on what high value tasks you can accomplish that actually move the needle, then go for a walk with the neighbor, then go fly fishing. Like I like to do or snowboarding or, you know, getting outside in nature and just being present and grateful. Like that's what it's all about, you know? And, and I love that you mentioned that, that it's a really great shift and, and one in which I recommend all the happy hustlers spend more time just having fun, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think that we can get so caught up in optimizing everything, which is important. There's so many people that they're a victim in the world that they aren't, they're reacting to other people rather than being intentional. Um, so it's good to be intentional in how we want to live our lives. It's good to want to make the most out of our life and, and get as much, you know, enjoyment out of it. And, I think sometimes people sway so far on one side where it's always about, you know, biohacking to be the most optimized person to say, you know what, give yourself permission to have, you know, a little bit of chill out time or to not always be thinking about being the optimized person. Um, And what's ironic is that that's going to actually help you be an even better hustler on the other side when you have these great ideas, but you're not doing it for the purpose of that. So for example, on Wednesday nights, um, I'm part of an improv troupe and every Wednesday awesome. we, we practice together. I laugh harder during that time than I do the rest of the week. Um, Thursday, I do not need to do an ab workout. Like my abs hurt. Um, <laughs> and it is only for my own enjoyment and to just play with these other adults in a silly, fun way. And the business benefits from that are tremendous. I can oh, think yeah. on my feet more. I can um, feel comfortable when things fall apart. I can, you know, take things a little bit lighter than maybe I would have, but that's not the primary reason I do improv. The primary reason is it's just fun. It just happens to have these ancillary benefits. And I think that approach for me, I really resonate these days of just saying, I'm going to do things that I really enjoy. And if I get business benefits out of it, great. But if not, that's not the main purpose. Uh, love that, man. Fun fact, I actually did three and a half years of improv at the Second City in Chicago, went oh. through their whole training program, A through E, and uh, did writing and stand up and sketch and all of it. And I think personally, I attribute most of my success to improv training, or at least the ability to think on my feet and at least my success in the entertainment world, I don't know if you know, but I I have one foot in the entertainment world as an actor and a model and whatever, and, you know, talent. And that success in that realm specifically, I can attribute my ability to be innovative and authentic in auditions with my improv training. And I think it's helped me as an entrepreneur tremendously and life's improv, you know? So I love that you, that you uh, do that. And, you know, one thing that, I really like to stress for especially entrepreneurs and aspiring entrepreneurs what, you know, I have in my framework, the 10 alignments, it makes up the acronym soul mapping. And the second P is passionate hobbies. And one of the things that I see most entrepreneurs lacking is actual hobbies. They enjoy having fun, you know, doing things they enjoy like improv, you know, so there's your permission. If you needed it, have the hustlers to go have more fun, sign yourself up for some improv or do some, some type of, you know, 
art class or martial arts or whatever you want to do, but like have more fun in your life. And and you can see Joe and I talking about it, but our, we're getting direct benefits for our business from this free time. And I just, I think it's important to mention. Yeah. Well, even just like last Tuesday, uh, I got together 12 dads from my daughter's elementary school and we all went out to a learn to curl course. Like I, I curl also, um, oh, cool. these other 11 guys, like they had never gone curling and you would have thought we were a bunch of 10 year old boys. I mean, they were playing Nirvana <laughs> and like had music pumping and we're all like learning to curl and it's just ridiculous. Everybody was laughing. Um, but it's like to have those connections and those relationships and, you know, it's not for the purpose of business connections. It's just, you know, we're all dads at the same school. Let, let's be connected. And so I, I think when you do that, when you create community, when you create fun, it's naturally going to help your business. Like a ton of them bought my book and said, we're going to buy it for our whole business. But was yeah. that why I put together a learn to curl? No, it was to go curl with a bunch of dudes, you know? Yeah. So, so I, I think sometimes we think that we have to always have this strategic plan in the business that is always very linear, but but actually, if we give ourselves permission to enjoy the ride, it oftentimes helps our businesses, even if that's not the main purpose. So true. So true. I mean, it's cliche, but as they say, your network is your net worth, right? And it's like more important who you know and your relationships. And you mentioned something, and I want to just really stress it. Like, Selfless service is the S in soul mapping the 10 alignments. And having that selfless service mindset when you are fostering these relationships is essential, guys. When you are creating community, don't go into it with this what can I get mentality. It's more what can I give. And that's what Joe did by creating this community of curling. And it led to opportunities that he didn't intentionally design. It was more, hey, I want to create community, have some fun. And, and I think that's really important distinction. Now, Joe, I do want to ask a selfish question. Speaking of selfless service, this is in regards to your book. I know it takes a ton of time and effort to create a book, to market a book, to sell a book. What would you say was your greatest learning lesson from the overarching process of writing and then your greatest learning lesson in your overarching process of selling it and marketing it? Oh, two great questions. I would say in writing, some things that I did that I didn't realize was going to make the process way easier than I expected is for years, I've just been gathering my own stories that were interesting. I have a note on my phone that's just called stories. Um, and they're ridiculous stories that I don't know where or when I'm going to use them. Uh, but I'll remember these stories. I'll just put them in my phone. And then when I have a speaking engagement, when I have a podcast, when I have a book I'm writing... I have, you know, 50 to 100 stories from my life that are just entertaining stories that maybe fit into a chapter. And so that made it a lot easier. Uh, also, while I was in the process of putting together the proposal, anytime I saw any research that was about curiosity, about, you know, not overthinking things, about slowing down, about how to kill it, like all the different aspects of what I talk about in the book, I just saved that in a Trello board. So I had probably 50 to 100 different either news articles that referenced research or research I had saw that when I then was entering into a chapter, so say the curiosity chapter, I knew that every chapter I wanted at least three solid pieces of research in there. And, and mm. so then I could comb through all that I had been gathering for the previous year, drop in a couple of those, and then say, well, what questions do I still have? What historical things do I want to know? Like, why do we say curiosity killed the cat? Well, it was because a cat <laughs> in 1910 got stuck in a chimney and it made national news. It's just this 
ridiculous story about a cat <laughs> that died in a chimney. And so now we say curiosity killed the cat, which is a terrible message to tell people that, you know, if you're curious, yeah. you're going to die. <laughs> um, but yeah. just those little things where it's like, well, where did that come from? Where did that come from? So I would say that just gathering your own stories and research over time of where you're interested, knowing that you could use that in something. It may be a keynote speech. It may be a book. It may be a podcast. You just don't know. Um, so gather the interesting things. And then in regards to the marketing of the book, um, it's really interesting. Um, I mean, I went into this thinking, I would love to be a New York Times bestselling author. Uh, so what do they do? They do over 200 media interviews or podcast interviews in the lead up to their book. You know, we hit over 200 of those. Um, it was a ton of work. It's never worth the ROI on the surface. Uh, if you look at, if I, you know, if each one of those you know, took over an hour plus, you know, my staff time to get it planned. Plus if, you know, I'm writing an article for Inc or for Harvard Business Review, like that takes a long time. From a direct financial standpoint, it's not worth it in regards to selling books. But where it's worth it is the amount of amazing people that are doing really amazing things in the world that I've met. The doors that it's opened for me have been incredible. And so mm. that's where the unexpected ROI over the next coming years, you know, even meeting people like yourself, who you have your fingers in a million different areas that I have very few connections in. And, and I have my fingers into things that maybe you have no connections in. So who yeah. knows where this connection can lead both of our For careers. Sure. And so that's to me the, the really unexpected side of the selling of the book that sure, I'm selling a book, but ultimately I I'm, have a huge network now of, of other people that know who I am. And you know, think about me as the four-day work week guy. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. I, I love your first takeaway in regards to writing it, you know, and I have a similar note on my, on my, um, on my phone, you know, called podcast episode ideas. Then I have stories. And recently I was putting together a keynote and I had to write down all my compelling stories and the pillar points from each. And it was a great exercise. And I think it's really important to document your life in a way that you can go back and reference it. So great point there that I just wanted to echo. The second thing in regards to marketing it, you know, it's really like when you get a book deal with someone like Harper Collins, like that's, that's great. Did you get an advance by, by the way, yeah. was it, was it a pretty healthy one or okay? I got, I got to tell you a funny story about this. Please tell so me. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm okay. interested. So I, I, um, they made an offer to me and I just listened to the book, uh, never split the difference, um, which is a <laughs> nice. Harper Collins book about negotiation. <laughs> I love it. And one of the big takeaways, uh, that he says is, you know, whatever someone offers you, just double it and make it a non-round number. So if they offer you 50,000, make it 100,000 and then make it like $96,121.15. Uh, so I did that. I They made me an offer. I doubled it and then made it a non-round number. And they accepted it. And then months <laughs> later, my editor is like, where did you come up with that number? You must have run some sort of analytics or marketing budget or something. And I was like, no, I listened to your Harper Collins book on negotiations and negotiated with Harper Collins using your own book against you. <laughs> oh my gosh. That is so but yeah, funny. it was it was a very healthy advance. <laughs> Love it. It's over six figures, or can you tell us yeah, that so, at least? Yeah, I I haven't disclosed uh, you know where it's at, but I, I'm very <laughs> happy with it. And but yeah, the thing is, I also had told them that. 
I didn't want to make money off the book. I wanted to put 100% of the advance back into marketing. And mm. so by getting a huge advance, that's basically promoting me with somebody else's money. Uh, exactly. And so, you know, my business is going fine. And so the, the amount of money that they gave me you know, would be great for an annual salary on its own. But then to be able to then put all of that back in as, you know, basically a interest-free loan, like that's great. Yeah. And, and why I ask is, you know, this is an interesting topic for me personally as an author, just authoring my first book, which I self-published, by the way, yeah. um, and I'm doing a whole, my, I have a funnel a strategy to more so do a free plus shipping than give uh, value in different ways with my course and with my masterminds and with my Montana, you know, epic camping adventure. And so I have a different strategy than Joe, but the point that I, I would, I like to outline is when you do get a book advance, at least from, you know, my author friends who are New York Times bestselling authors, like that is an investment. It's a seed investment in you. It's an investment in your book. And as Joe mentioned, you can choose how you wish to use that, that money to then go market your book and to spread your message even further. And I think, you know, for me, I explore traditional publishing. I met with publishers. I, I explored hybrid publishing. For my first book, just given where I was at, this seemed to make the most sense for me. But I definitely am interested in the future to do a traditionally published book. And that's why I'm interested in yeah. your process. And, and it's really one of those things where I don't think, you know, the ROI is, as Joe said, like direct with these type of engagements. When you do 200 podcast episodes, that's a lot of effort. That's a lot of time, but it's the message that you're spreading. And it is then the compound effect, right? As Darren Hardy says, of all those different, you know, interviews added up over time. And, and then who knows what comes from it? You know, it's so cool how life works out. So I just think when you are creating something, Look at the compound effect. Look at play the long game as Joe has, and and that's really an important takeaway that I just wanted to extract. Um, now, Joe, I do I do like to ask all my guests a couple different questions in a couple different disciplines. Um, first, being health. You know, I, th I think health is really important in order to happy hustle in any capacity. You have to have your health. So. What would you say is a happy hustle hack? This is a, a tip, a tool, a tactic, something that you do in regards to your health that you can share. Yeah. So I look for what is something that I know that I can do and that I can commit to. Uh, so back in February, that was a one minute plank. Every day I can do a one minute plank. I have one nice. minute a day I can plank. Like that's just ridiculous if I can't find one minute. Yeah. Um, and then that became a two minute and that then it became a three minute and then a four minute. And so just to have something that's super simple that, you know, to do four minutes a day in a plank, like anyone can do that or build up to that. And so I, I think so often we think we have to do these huge kind of fitness challenges and I got to yeah. give up all these things or eat all like... But I'm a let's start small and be consistent. You know, you know, can I drink green tea before I drink my coffee every day? Yes, I can do that. Uh, that's going to help me in a number of ways. Could I, you know, drink a green smoothie every afternoon for extra energy instead of just getting another cup of coffee? Yeah, I can do that. Um, and so for me, find those small things that I can do on a regular basis to really create habit change. Uh, that's where I view health uh, for myself. Love it. So good, man. Just doing that, that two, three, four minute plank starting wherever you can. Uh, I have a similar non-negotiable every shower or bath whenever, um, 
I do end up taking a shower or a bath, which is usually twice a day because uh, I practice good hygiene, even though I look like a caveman. Let it, <laughs> let it be known. Um, I do naked push-ups or naked pull-ups. It's just a routine. I've done it for at least a decade. I haven't missed a time, even when I'm sick or it's 4 a.m. or I'm under the influence of something, <laughs> uh, which isn't that often, but whenever it is, it's a non-negotiable and it's discipline that then creates, um, that compound effect once again. And it's those little things that add up over time. So I love that. Um, let's talk about money. I always like to you know talk about money. I think it's important to use it as a tool, as a frequency. And I'm curious, do you have a tip, a tool, a tactic, maybe something that you do a happy hustle hack in regards to money? I mean, I, I think one of the biggest mindset things is we have so much compared to the rest of the world. Our toilet water is cleaner than half of the world's fresh water. And so oh, let's just so start true. with the so fact true. that we have so much privilege compared to the rest of the world that you know, more than half the world would love the life that we have. And so I think the fact that people buy so much for perceived happiness uh, and then it doesn't work and they wonder why, let's just start with we're probably overspending. Uh, most of us should be living way below what we're making. And so that's what I do. Uh, for me, a walk with a friend and a sunset uh, is almost always better than anything I would buy. Uh, and so uh, I live far below what I make. And um, so that makes it a lot easier to then say, well, I have all this extra money. What do I do with this? Well, you know, I can put it a bunch into my retirement. I can put a bunch into my kids' college savings. We actually started a podcast with my daughters and I, and I talked to my accountant to be able to pay them for that podcast because we got sponsorship and then take that money and put it into an IRA for them. And, and so now as a seven-year-old and a 10-year-old, so that, cool. 12, that 12K over two years, like that's going to be millions of dollars when, when they're in their 60s. And so to teach them those lessons and say, I want to set you up for success, but this is, doesn't mean when you're 18 and you have a hundred thousand that it's grown to that you just take that out. Let's look at the compound interest. And so, uh, very active in, in regards to retirement. Uh, I'm very active in regards to just uh, making my money work and you know buying property to Airbnb it and things like that as well. So I know I just gave you a bunch of different hacks, but that's how I think about it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's great, man. It's really important to make your money work for you and to to diversify as well, but then to also focus your investments and live below your means. So those are great. Um, let's talk about spirituality. Do you have a happy hustle hack in regards to spirituality? You know, for me, uh, I don't necessarily care if you believe in one God or another. I just care that you believe in something and have faith, you know, that at least that's my mindset. Um, do you have a spiritual practice or a happy hustle hack in this realm that you could share? Yeah, I, I've undone a lot. So I was uh, raised Catholic and then had a stint with being evangelical. And I would say I now have landed that Taoism is probably the closest philosophy what? to what I believe. So cool, um, man. Oh, I, uh, yeah, look at that. I got to introduce you to um, my Taoist master. And uh, oh my gosh, I his name is Master Chen. He was on the podcast a couple of times. I've trained Kung Fu with him since I was a boy in Tai Chi. And that's super cool that you're into Oh, that. my word. Yeah, no, I, yeah. I would say it's been really something for the last couple of years that I've really resonated with, but especially in, in the last year of uncoupling um, and kind of the pain of some of that. Um, Taoism. 
that idea of me being a high achiever that has so little control and to just allow it to unfold how it unfolds and to realize that, you know, it, it is how it is. And um, so for me, that's, that's been really helpful. Um, I would also say that daily meditation, uh, I use Sam Harris's waking up uh, app. I, I absolutely love it. He has a 10 minute meditation every day and has all oh, sorts cool. of extra kind of courses there. Um, I, I like how analytical he is as a person and then applying that to meditation. I don't see that very often. And so uh, I would say spiritually, those are the kind of areas that, that I'm at right now. And I have lots of friends that we just talk about spiritual issues, which to me is fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think there's something you can learn from every religion, every spiritual practice. And um, I'm also a big proponent of meditation and breath work and just getting still and practicing gratitude. So yeah, love, yeah. love those, Joe. Uh, I like to ask all my guests these rapid fire round questions. And, uh, you know, it's just a fun way to uh, learn more about you. And this is yeah. basically, I ask you random things and you answer honestly, first thing that comes to mind. Are you ready? All right. I'm ready. Bring all it. Right. Favorite food, go. Ooh, I love pizza and macaroni and cheese, even though they're super unhealthy. <laughs> <laughs> Favorite movie, go. Ooh, Dumb and Dumber. Like it. Favorite book. Oh man, I, I cannot answer that. I I do not have a favorite book. I have many books that I go back to, but I'll say the untethered Give soul. Give us one. Is, oh, oh yeah, the untethered I soul. Know, yeah. I know Mickey Singer. I've trained with him uh personally. Oh. My brother was his personal mentee for uh multiple years in Florida. Unbelievable writing. And, yeah, and guy. really yeah. good. Um, what's your spirit animal, Joe? Probably a deer. Uh, cause they, they move it. so quick. They move so quick. I got and, a couple yeah. right out in front of me. Right now. <laughs> yeah. That's cool, man. Um, if you had your best business advice distilled into one sentence, what would that be? Slow down so that you can do better work. Mm, that's good. Three things you're most grateful for, Joe. Ooh, this sounds like an improv game. Three things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, three things I'm most grateful for. Um, my health. Uh, I had back surgery when I was 19. And the fact that I'm not having a flare up and haven't in a while is a really, really big deal. Yeah. Um, I am grateful for how explosive my divorce actually was because it allowed me to walk away in a way that I probably wouldn't have been able to walk away in the past. Uh, mm. So that's an unexpected gratitude. And then my two daughters are just like, they just fill me up. Yeah. Love that, man. Now, if you had one billboard for the world to see with your last piece of content, what's that billboard going to read, Joe? Slow the F down. <laughs> I mean, like, uh, I feel like we have, we are just moving at such a pace that we're missing 90% of our lives. And mm. uh, if we slowed down, I think we would listen to people that were different than us. We would enjoy it more and, and realize that, you know, the grind that so many people have bought into is just such a lie. Hmm. Amen to that brother. You crushed that rapid fire round, Joe. And I just want to take a moment, man, to acknowledge you. I appreciate you for sharing your love, your light, your wisdom with myself and the happy hustlers and, and, and just putting out your body of work in a way that is consumable and actually can make a positive impact on people's lives. Like, Thursday is the new Friday. Like this is a concept that I really appreciate. And I'm just appreciative that you shared it, Joe. So thank you, man. Oh, uh, Carrie, thank you so much. Yeah. Now, any last words before I ask you uh, the final question? And, and why don't you go ahead and just let everyone know again where they can pick up the book and maybe sure. even take that assessment? Sure. I think 
one thing for us to recognize is that we are the post-pandemic generation. We're going to be the generation that future people look back to and say, why did they do what they did when something so disruptive happened in their generation? Hmm. And we can ask ourselves, is 2019 pre-pandemic the best we can do as a society? Is that the best we can do for health outcomes? Is that the best we can do for our relationships, for the way we run our businesses, the 40-hour work week? Or when we look forward to the next 30 to 50 years, the challenges our generation will face are pronounced. Uh, you know, whether it's global warming or you know, how we have more equality in the world or pandemics, we want to be the most creative and the most productive that we can be. And I genuinely believe that as the post-pandemic generation, that if we don't slow down, we are not going to be able to address those future issues. So mm -hmm. I know that we can do this together. I know that we can step up to it. So the book Thursday is the new Friday. Uh, it pushes into that old way and saying we can do better. Uh, yep. And it walks through our internal inclinations, how to slow down and then how to kill it. Um, so wherever people buy their books, uh, Thursday is the new Friday is available. I'm sure your local bookstore would uh, appreciate that. You can also get it on Amazon, Audible, on Kindle, wherever you get your books and, and listen to them. Uh, you can get them and would love to get to know you better over at joesanock.com uh, where we're collecting people's experiments. So if you do a four-day work week, put it in the experiment section there so that we can talk about it and share it with the world. So cool. JoeSanok.com. Joe, this has been amazing, brother. Now, final question. What right. does happy hustling mean to you? Happy hustling is aligning your passions, your excitement, the things that just light you up with the way that you make money. Um, because mm. there are so many ways to make money out there. If you hate a certain social media, don't be on that social media. Um, you know, attract the people on the one that you like. Uh, and so to me, that happy hustler is taking just that excitement and aligning that with the way you make money. And then it doesn't feel like work anymore. Ah, mic drop. Joe Sanok, everyone. Crushed it. Thanks for watching and listening, y'all. We are out. Peace and love. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Happy Hustle Podcast. I truly am so grateful that you took the time out of your busy day to spend time with me. Now, if you got any value from this episode or any episodes in the past, it would mean the world to me if you could please leave a five-star review and share this episode with your friends so we can continue to spread this message. Guys, as always, it's been a blast. Now go out there and happy hustle for your dream reality. Peace.